0: I think a big question that comes up when I start looking at things that are going on in the world today, when you see the chaos, when you see the the crimes. I read a lot in the news, probably more than I should, actually. And I like to read a, a number of different articles throughout the week, and I usually use social media. And uh, there's things that are just disturbing that you read about, the crimes that people commit and the things that they do. Sometimes I wish they just wouldn't post them, you know, just keep some of those things out of my sight. But they're there, they're on the feed and I can't get away from it. So I think the starting question I'd ask this morning is, and this what I would ask the world is, do I need a moral foundation to be morally good? And some would say yes, but oh, but your foundation doesn't have to be God. And I strongly disagree with that. What foundation, what basis do you have morality for morality and for right and wrong without God? Well you can either rely on yourself, you can rely on your instinct, you know, I can go on what instincts I have. I can go along with what, what I think as a person. Or I can go on what society says. And that's about all, your, all you can rely on. That's all your options. is self, society, and instinct. You start looking at those, those things are very subjective. They can change. You know, what society says is right and wrong can change from day to day. What you say is right and wrong, what you think about those things can change from day to day. And then what you perceive as your instinct and what that might be. And uh, depending on, again, your culture and your background can change. And the only other alternative is an objective standard of right and wrong is God, and that, I think is very, very. I think that's very clear in the Book of Genesis: is that when people are without God and they don't know their Creator, they change. We see the whole line of Cain. We see the violence that was in the world, and we we read in the Genesis about God sending a flood to cleanse the world because people have become so evil. Even the line of Seth had been come down to just Noah and his father and grandfather and his family. And it's a very scary thing to think about, even to think about that today, that um, where the world is going, how many Christians there are. Because in the United States, and with the exception of us, I mean, along with us, would be France that are becoming more secular. Other countries are not including so much of this atheism. Atheism is the fastest growing worldview right now in the United States and and in France. There are some things to be concerned about there. And I, I like to also go on social media and read and converse with people who are not believers. And I was coming, I was actually reading this morning. I went on Facebook and I went to an apologetics website where people defend their faith and discuss religious subjects. And sometimes you get an unbeliever or an atheist to come on there or somebody comes on there and says, this is what this unbeliever said to me. How should I respond? And so they get a lot of input. And I like that. So I went on there and I saw one of the things this morning. It says, what would it take? What does it take to convince an atheist, an unbeliever to believe? What do you need there? And so as I started thinking about it, I started thinking about the unbelievers who I've seen, the atheists, the the agnostics and skeptics, who have become strong believers. What happened to them? And I think one common feature is humility, that there's something in their life, they have a relationship with somebody that humbles them, and they start to think about the importance of honesty and the necessity and meaning of life, that what, what does this all mean? why are we here where did everything come from and when they start to honestly think about that because they have those in that they somebody who's influencing them with respect i see that and i see that with jesus i see that and that he was a person who did such wonderful things and healed people that people respect him and adored him so that when he spoke they realized this man comes from god and the things that he speaks are right and good so that's definitely needed so i'm thinking about those things i'm thinking about that this morning and I'm also putting the context of the scriptures that I want to look at. I can't give you all of Genesis 18 this morning, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a summary of what we read about in Genesis 18. But if you have your Bible, let's open up there, since we're not going to have it on the screen. Genesis 18, look in verses 20 and 21. You remember in the account, if you go to Genesis 18, and you start reading in verses 1 through 3, you read that there are three men that come to Abram. Abraham. A- Abraham's name has changed from Abram to Abraham in chapter 17. That's what our reading kind of marks out, 17 to 20, for this week. And so Abraham is sitting in the heat of the day in this tent, and he sees these three men coming. And I think he, it appears to me, he recognizes one of them. In fact, some of the commentators say that when he calls one of them Lord, he has recognized who he is. Now, the word Lord there is not from the Hebrew word Yahweh, but it's simply Adonai, meaning he recognized him as the master, as the leader. Of these three men, we begin reading there, and we find out that two of them. We get in the beginning of chapter nineteen, are two of them are angels, and here one is the Lord who's come in some bodily form. And some have thought maybe he's an angelic form, just like the angels. And some have thought, well, wait a minute. The Bible says very clearly that God is spirit, and Isaiah and other passages tell us that God doesn't have a physical body; that he's not he's not man. But we do know that God comes in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. And the question has been, well, who is this? And so many people think as we go throughout the book of Genesis and we think about God walking in the garden and we think about God right here appearing and coming to Abram and Abraham on this occasion. Later we read about God wrestling with Jacob and Jacob's name is changed to one who wrestles with God, which is the word Israel, which is what the nation of Israel is named after. So you start seeing these and you start wondering and I think about who is the Lord here is this Jesus in some bodily form. I, I think that is the, the best conclusion. But he comes and these three men come and Abram prepares a feast for them. And, and why is it? Why would God come with two angels on foot by Abraham's house? Why not just go straight to their mission? Because they have a mission. They're going to bring judgment on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because a great outcry has gone up. Who? who Where's that source? Where did that, what, is, what is this outcry? Evidently, other people, travelers coming by Sodom and Gomorrah have been abused. They've been taken advantage of. And you, as you begin to read in Genesis 19, you get a, a picture of how these individuals, how corrupt and evil they had become. You see how Abraham treats his guests. And, and that's a contrast to how Sodom and Gomorrah treated their guests, those who came into their town. So Genesis 18 look here in 2021 20 it says and the Lord said because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. God says what they've done is evil, what they've done of it is wicked. And he says there's an outcry. Other other people are crying out to God because of how evil they are and what they've done. And then it says I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry. That has come to me, and if not, I will know. And so, again, strange. God on foot, bodily form, with two angels with him, is going through. He, he's gonna, and the reason he goes by to talk to Abraham and say, I want you to see, Abraham, what's going to happen. And there's a discourse there. You remember there between God and Abraham where Abraham says, well, there, if there's 50 righteous people, God, you wouldn't kill, you wouldn't eliminate and destroy a city With all those people in it, if there are 50 righteous people there, and God says, of course not. I would not kill the the righteous with the wicked. I'm not going to kill, I would not kill it for 50 people. And then he keeps lowering the number down. Abraham does. But there's not even 10 people in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah because of how wicked they are. So God hears this outcry. He's going there. He's going to bring judgment upon them in person. Nobody can say, well, God, you can't experience. You don't understand what we go through. And what we have to endure, God knows. And ultimately we see that through Jesus Christ. So I start thinking about this. The Lord and two angels are passing through on foot. They want, to, they want Abraham to know what's about to happen. And that lot here, here he is living in the city of Sodom. God doesn't want to hide from the one whom he's given his covenant to and his promises to. And so because of that great outcry, God will bring judgment. We continue reading. If you have your Bible, again, look in Genesis chapter 19. Let's move into that now. We have the two angels going down to Sodom. You see what happens here. They're going to bring the destruction on the city, but they're also exposing the sin that's there, the wickedness that occurs there. Because of the outcry, because of the sin that's there, we read and we see that Lot is there sitting in the city gate. Now, oftentimes, if you're a judge or if you're a well-known person, you will be at the city gate to make decisions. But here, Lot appears to be looking for visitors. He's looking for travelers to warn them, to take them in. Not that they were to pass outside the city walls. But then the angels come in and they say, we're going to stay here, we're going to stay here in the town square. And Lot pleads with them, no, no, you come into into my house. Don't stay out here. He pleads with them. He begs them to come in. And that night, as you you remember, if you're reading right there in Genesis 19, it says the men, the men of of the city, they know who Lot is. They know he's brought in guests. And they gather. It says they surround Lot's house. It says young and old. All of them surround his house. And they say to them, bring out these men so that we may know them. So that we may know them. And then you get the picture of what he means by what these men mean by know them. We, we know this is where the term sodomy comes from. This is where the sin of homosexuality is emphasized in the, in the Bible. And I know there are some today that say, well, that's not how all homosexuals are. They're not like this. Whether they're rapists or they're abusive, that, that they're going to crowd in and, and, just, and act like this. And some of that may be true. We're going to look at that a little bit further. But we see their wickedness. And yet Lot tries to plead with them. And I don't think Lot is actually giving them an actual option here. But he says to them, look, here are my daughters who've never known a man. Why don't you take them? I don't think that Lot is actually offering his daughters here. I think what he's saying to them is, listen, you know my daughters are engaged to other men in town. might might have been, you know, their their fiancés. Those that they're engaged to might have been among those group of men. They respected his daughters and him enough not to violate them. But when travelers come through, they don't care. They take advantage of them. He's trying to expose them about what they're doing, that they wouldn't even take his daughters, and what they're doing is wicked. They know it's wrong, and what they're doing is evil. So that's what we read about here in Genesis 19. Go down with me to verses 9 through 11. Let's read this. Genesis 19, verses 9 through 11. And so they're coming and they're, they're grasping, they're, they're surrounding the house and they're trying to take these men and break down the door. And it says, and they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and has become the judge. And so now they're, they're, they're talking about Lot here. They said, oh, how can you judge us? Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And so they wanted these two men who they didn't know they were angels of God. They just thought they were travelers. They're saying, now we're going to deal worse with you because you're not letting us have our way. It says, then they pressed hard against the man, Lot, and drew near to break down the door. And the men reached out their hands, the angels do, and they brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, house, both small and great. So they wore themselves out groping for the door. You see some of these pictures of these communities in the Bible where people have become so wicked. You see the violence in the beginning before the flood in Genesis chapter six. You read about the tribe of Benjamin later in the scriptures and how wicked they had become, especially toward those who were traveling, and and how they had also become enraged with homosexuality. Um, you know, some people said, "Oh, homosexuality—it's a genetic thing. There's no been no genetic." Link to those desires. It is a mental perspective. It is a sinful thing and it is often a temptation. The book of Romans, chapter one, says, Those who don't know God and refrain and don't think about Him or keep Him in their thoughts, who rebel against Him, God says, I will give that community, that society, over to homosexuality. Throughout ancient Greece, there are whole books and texts written about how most of Greek culture was wrapped up in homosexuality. It wasn't 3% of society. It had just overcome the community. It was everywhere. And it led to other wicked things. In fact, Romans says that those who rebel against God, God gives them over to the desires of the flesh so that they have no more self-control for various temptations and that it's a punishment and it is. It's, it's, a, it's a sin, and yet it's a punishment on its own course, which most sins often bring about their own punishment. So as we think about this and we read about this account here, what do we do with it? What do we think about this? Well, one thing that, thinks, that comes to my mind when you're thinking about Lot and those angels come in there to bring Lot out and say, you've got to escape. Take your family. Take those who are with you. Get away because God's about to destroy the city. Well, maybe I'll propose to you, maybe the righteous must escape the wicked. There are times when we have to get away from it where our children or our family should not be around it, where it needs to be left to God's just wrath and his justice. And the reason I say that is because I hear that in Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? It's in Matthew 24. It's also in Mark chapter 13 and Luke 21, where he warns, he says, there's coming a time where the Gentiles talking about the Romans are going to surround Jerusalem. And this happened in A.D. 70. Jesus predicted it 40 years ahead of time. He says, this is what's going to happen. And Rome's going to come in and they're going to destroy the city. And he says, and when you see them surrounding, then you get out and you go to the hills, you go to the mountains and you escape. Eusebius, who is a fourth century Christian historian, says no Christians died in the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 because they listened to the words of Jesus Christ and escaped. I've even read, read critical scholars, those who are skeptical of the Bible, say that they believe that Jesus actually made these predictions. Even, even the ones who are skeptical of, of the Bible are admitting to this. And I think the evidence is overwhelming, of course. Jesus certainly warned of it. So you start thinking about Lot here, about wickedness. There are places the Bible tells us not to, it tells us in the Bible, not to be unequally yoked. Remember 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14? With unbelievers. Don't be around those who are, who are going to pull you down, who are going to bring you into wickedness, who will degrade you, who are going to lead you astray. Don't be yoked with them. Lot here. You know, at first Lot has chosen to move his family and all, of his, um, all that he has acquired into the area around Sodom and Gomorrah thinking, oh, there's a lot of water over there. That's what we read about in the text. He thinks this is going to be good for his family, but he's gone from simply being in the countryside to moving into the city and has a devastating effect on his family. We read about this. Genesis 19, read with me, verses 15 through 17. It says, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot. The angels urged Lot, saying, up, there's a command, up, take your wife and your daughters, your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. Lot lingered. And so the men seized him, that's the angels, and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him, set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. So there's a threat, even the destruction that's coming upon Sodom and Gomorrah, that brimstone and sulfur is going and fire is going to come down from heaven. Volcanic activity, even the destruction, and the archaeological finds show that these cities were destroyed in this way. And they have a layer of ash on top of them. It's some kind of volcanic activity. Activity has happened here. And so the angels say, don't even stay in the valley. Get up away. So even the valley, the surrounding regions, the lower land is going to be destroyed. And I think that's important when you start thinking about what happens to Lot's wife. We read here, look at verses 23 and following. It said the sun had risen on the earth and Lot came to Zoar. Now Lot was talking to the angels said, can I go over to this other city? And he said, yes, you can go to Zoar and not simply go to the mountains. So he goes over to Zoar. And then it says, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew these cities and all the valley, all the valley, not just the cities, the valley, the whole land, the plain there. And you remember they're around the salt sea, the dead sea. Interesting things happen around there with the dead sea. And you get kind of a picture of it here. It says all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. I begin to get a picture here. What I imagine is that they're moving on and they're going uh, through the valleys. They're going up into the hills. They're going to the city of Zoar, this small town, actually. And as they're on their way, Lot's wife really doesn't want to go. Instead of looking back, because the angel said, don't look back. Lot has his daughters with him and his wife is falling behind and he doesn't look back. And she falls further behind. That's what I imagine. She's still in the valley when she looks back and she sees the destruction. She sees what's happening. And it's, and I've heard reports of it, I haven't seen a lot of pictures of it, but things around the Salt Sea, around the Dead Sea, animals, posts, different things, because of a wind or storm, will come through, will become encrusted and covered in salt because of the salt deposits there. It still happens today. And we read here that Lot's wife. Looked back and she became a pillar of salt. That what she wanted, what she desired, what she didn't want to leave. You see that she didn't, she didn't want to follow Lot in this. And she wasn't obedient to God. And this is what happens. We read about Jesus talking about this. And he says in, in the Gospels, he says, remember Lot's wife. He says, remember Lot's wife, what she did, that she looked back. She wanted to be a part of that. She didn't want to give it up. And I think as we we look at this this morning, we think about it, and I want to get to more application right now, is that without knowing God, when when we see this kind of godlessness, again, humanity has no foundation for understanding. We have no way to view rightly God's creation. And I think that's what happens when we look at certain sins in the world. Because as Christians, when we believe in God, and we look at man and woman, we see God has made man and woman, and we see God has made man and woman to be together, and we see that the institution of marriage is set up in that way. It just makes sense to us. But if you don't have that foundation, and, and you don't want to believe in God, or you just don't care enough to think about God, or to think much about what he, what he says, or who He is, or think much about His creation, and why He has made the things that He has. When you don't think that way, what are you going to think? You're going to think, well, these Two men or a group of men want to do this. They have free will. They can do whatever they want. Uh, they have those desires. That Maybe they evolved that way. And you start thinking that way. Because why? Because God's no longer in your thinking. The, the fact that you, we're here today, brethren, and we believe in God, it affects the way that we view the world. More than maybe what we realize. It helps us to understand the institution of marriage and to respect it and to honor it. And to realize any other alternative is contrary to what God has made and while God designed it. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. I start looking at the subject, the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. I remember being in a discussion, it's been years ago, where um, a friend of a friend, she was Jewish. And she said, I don't think the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, she said, was homosexuality. I think it was that they were not very kind. They're not hospitable to their guests. I think that's an understatement, of course. They're a little bit worse than being inhospitable. They were violent abusers of travelers. And yeah, you could make that, core, that, that case upon that. But when you start reading certain passages in the Bible, Ezekiel says that they had unnatural desires that were wrong and contrary to God's nature. And because we view God and we understand and what we've been reading in the book of Genesis We understand, we respect these institutions that God has set up. We respect God's creation. I want you to listen to what Jude says. This is the brother of Jesus. In Jude, verse 7, of course there's no chapters, verse 7 of Jude. Jude says, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality. What they were doing was immoral, sexually immoral. And pursued, notice this, unnatural desire serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire it's not just punishment for their wickedness but also eternal fire for those who do that and jude says this is an example to you this sexual morality this this evil that's being done that god's punishment is just even eternally those who dismiss god don't think about god it makes sense that they would be eternally separated from god when they die They don't want Him. They were in rebellion against God. They don't want any of His comforts. They don't want any of His blessings. What is that like to go into eternity separated from God? Well, it's not going to be comfortable. He gave you life. He gave you everything that you had. It makes sense that it would be a place of burning, an eternal fire. I read about this. We read other things here in in the text. But let me add to the point of our perception how God shapes the way that we view the world. We we turn on the TV and we, we see the news. We read these things in the Bible and we think, how hideous, how evil. But faith in God, it holds our purpose, our understanding of God's purpose for his creation, that there's meaning in it, that he has made everything in a certain way. When we read Genesis chapter 1, or we just look at creation. We see all this is put together and finally balanced so that humanity can live. We see that God created the earth for humanity's habitation, which is what we read about in Genesis chapter 1, 28 to 31. We see God has created man and woman for each other to establish a home, to have children, or as Malachi says, to have godly children. That's God's purpose for marriage. Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, we see the roles of men and women are distinctly different. That men often are, are about laboring and, they're about, and their role as God gives them is to guard and to protect creation. Whereas woman, she's more about caring for life and giving life. She's focused a little bit more on even those relationships. We see that in nature. We can observe it. And we know it through God. We also see God created human life to be respected by others. We read about in Genesis chapter 9 that one who kills another, who sheds another person's blood, God will bring a reckoning upon them. Why? Because they're made in his image. It makes sense to us that if we have the intelligence and personality and so is the creator of the universe that we're made in his likeness. Therefore, if we sin against somebody else who's made in God's likeness, if we curse at them, if we hate them, if we murder them, then there's consequences to that. And in today's world, some people think, well, you're not really a person until you've been born, until you've taken your first breath. You don't have any value until then. But as Christians, when we look at it from the perspective of God, that we're made in His image, even from conception, we respect life. It makes a huge difference that we think about God throughout the week, that all of our morality, everything that we understand is right and wrong, comes from our Creator. I want to share two more scriptures with you before we finish. Another one from 2 Peter about Sodom and Gomorrah. 2 Peter chapter 2, look at verses 6 and following, 6-10. through 10. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6 through 10. I think you might want to read this if you haven't been following along to look at this scripture. 2 Peter chapter 2, 6 through 10. This is what we read here. Peter says, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is to happen to the ungodly. God said, this is what happens when you are wicked and you rebel against God. God loves, he gives every opportunity, everybody can find God, can know God, he provides ways for that to happen. But to rebel against God, he says, this is an example, Sodom and Gomorrah is. And then he says, and if, listen to this, if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly, notice this about Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, do you feel that way? I do, and I hear it on the news, and I hear the crimes that go on, and I hear about human trafficking, and I know the abuses that are going on in that area, and I think about these things. They're distressing. They're greatly distressing. You hear about the, the immoral sexual behavior in this world, and he says here that Lot was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. He says, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was, to- he was tormenting his righteous soul, over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. You can't get away from it today. It's in politics, it's in everything. I can't even watch ESPN now without hearing about how um, I need to be more accepting of what is contrary to what God said. Now, I can love people, and I can love the way that God does, but that doesn't mean that I need to approve of sin. That doesn't mean I'm loving somebody when I approve or tolerate Sin. I need to humble myself. I want to encourage them to humble themselves before God as well. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, Then the Lord knows. Notice this. I love this description because we're seeing about God. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly, the devoted, from trials. And God rescued Lot. And he says, And he knows how to do what? To keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion. And despise authority. That's the picture of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the messages that the apostles would have us to learn from it. I encourage you this morning as we think about the book of Genesis, do you know God? It's not simply a history book. It's a text of knowing who our creator is, knowing the nature of man, and knowing that we need to love God and submit to him because he loves us and he has great promises that he's given to us. Think more about your creator Spend time this week thinking about how God has created and made things, and things make more sense. What would Jesus teach us about Sodom and Gomorrah? This is my last thought for us this morning. There's, there's a number of passages I can go to. Um, I keep forgetting, I don't have the screen up behind me. But I, could, I can give them to you afterwards if you'd look, like to look at them. I want you to look at Jesus' words in our last scripture this morning Luke chapter 17. 28 to 30. And this will lead us into our invitation. Luke chapter 17, 28 to 30. This is what we read, Jesus taught. He says, Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the son of Man is revealed. Now a lot of people don't like to hear this kind of preaching or teaching. There's no way to avoid it. Jesus taught on Sodom and Gomorrah. And sometimes it's very striking, even disturbing, to think about God's justice. And I think that's revealing of our own hearts. As we hear Jesus saying this, he's saying, "As it was in the days of Lot, people were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planning, and building." He says, "And judgment came upon them." He says, he warns, and that's what Christ always does. When you you know someone loves you when they continually warn you. Parents do that; they warn their children all the time. Don't do that. You're going to regret that. Don't make that decision. And so Jesus this morning says, so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. I encourage this morning, know your God. Know that he is just God and he has a just wrath and what he does is right. He's given all life and so he can take life. And he's provided a way for us to have salvation. He's done it through Jesus Christ. He says, this, your sins have brought about death. You sin against your own body and so what is death? It's separation of the spirit and the body. And what did Christ do? He endured that even though he didn't sin. And yet, because he didn't sin, he was able to take up the body again, spirit and body, and resurrect from the dead. And God promises us this. He says, if you're faithful and you believe in me and you trust in Jesus Christ and you believe that he rose from the dead and that you're obedient by that faith because you die to your sins and you're buried in the baptisms of water and you rise up and you live in the newness of life, you'll be saved. Those are wonderful blessings to think about. And the Bible continues to warn us. Romans 2, Romans 5 come to mind. Tells us that we need to avoid evil. Stay away from it. And it also tells us that God's kindness and his mercy, his grace, is to lead us to repentance. I encourage you this morning, if you need to repent and change your life, do it. God is a just God. And judgment will come. But I also encourage you to know the power of the blood. Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his blood makes atonement. And you can live by faith and walk in the light and have confidence and bring others with you. Courage and warn those around you that there is a day of judgment coming. The God who created all things will judge that which is wicked and that which is good. I encourage you this morning. You need to repent. You need prayers. You need to obey the gospel. Come now. Let's sing together.